Welcome to Tricking Awesome. Uh, we're going to talk about Deep Space Nine today. Awesome. My name is Libby. I'm Jason. Sweet. Glad you guys could join us. Yeah. Well, um, what uh, what episode are we talking about in Deep Space Nine today? Today we are talking about Move Along Home. Oh, God. Hang on one second before uh, we start this conversation. <laughs> okay. I, I think I can do this. Good sound effect there. Yeah, I know. I try. Um, so, okay. So before we actually get started talking about uh, this episode, um, uh, let's talk about something a little nicer. Um, our Facebook page. Oh, yeah. We got that up and running. Yeah. So if you search Trekking Awesome in Facebook, you should find us. Um, there's yeah. a little sushi in, which stands for Norton, because that's our That's who name. we are. Yep. <laughs> um, so... Uh, that, that was designed, by the way, by a really famous and super accomplished graphics designer in, oh, a, I know, yeah. in, a, in a state-of-the-art graphic design program. Oh, I know. It was it was awesome. Yeah. Um, if you're wanting links to the uh, artist and maybe even the software they used, you could probably Google it. It's called MS Paint. It, I, uh, I think you're pronouncing it wrong, Jason. It's Spawn. Miss Pond, sorry. Yeah, it's an avant-garde. Gotcha, gotcha. That's there you go. Yeah. Yeah. No, so beautiful. anyway, I just thought you should know that we we spared no expense designing exactly. that graphics logo. It's the same. It's we, it's the same designer that designed our logo on the actual podcast itself. On, yes. That, that that appears on Google Play, uh, iTunes, and Stitcher. The movement in that design is exquisite. It's, um, it really draws the eye upward. It. <laughs> And away from the screen, maybe? Yeah, maybe. Uh, uh, anywho, please. Uh, yeah. Uh, we also have our Twitter account up and mm-hmm. running, um, and uh, occasionally we will tweet at things. Yep. Um, um, our Twitter handle is at Trekkin Awesome. That, there's no G in that. Um, so it's T-R-E-K-K-I-N Awesome. So yeah, yeah. So just search search for that, and I guess and I guess you will find us on the old the old Twitter. There you go. The old Twitter. Uh, feed. We'll, we'll, we'll tweet. Um, and we occasionally, occasionally tweet, mostly to tell you that we have new podcasts. Pretty much, uh, which is super exciting news, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. So we're gonna talk about move along home today. Yeah. <laughs> we are. So um. How do you want to? Uh, do we want to decide who's gonna defend this first, or do we want to read the synopsis first? Let's decide who's going to defend first. Okay. Because I think that's going to be more challenging. I than, think the only normal. I think the only fair way to decide is is, is paper rock scissors. Rochambeau. Ready? All Ready? Right. Paper One, rock two, scissors three, shoot. shoot. Paper One, rock two, three, scissors shoot. shoot. Paper. One two three shoot. Ah, oh, dang it! <laughs> Best two out of three. No. Uh, okay. No. So. You heard it live. Looks like I have to defend this lovely episode. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan Bane. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, why Which don't you go ahead would and? Would you say that we're on right now? Uh, well, Are we know, on the first shop? No, we always start on the second. So shop. Always start on the second. Shop. Uh, only children start on the first. Only shop. children. Well, I think uh, before we get started. Go ahead and uh, you want to l- yeah. Let us know what this episode's about so uh, hmm. people who've never seen it before can uh, 
join in our misery. Alrighty, here we go. Ben Sisko, Kira Norris, Jadzia Dex, and Julian Bashir stand ready to make first contact with the Wadi, a fun-living species from the Gamma Quadrant. The crew are dressed to the nines and ready to greet the Wadi with their best foot forward. The Wadi, however, have other plans. They are more intent on meeting Quark and his Dabo table. The Deep Space Nine contingent is quickly fed up with the Wadi's lack of decorum and they retire to bed, leaving Quark to put a stop to the Wadi's damage on his latinum stores. The Wadi quickly catch on and set up a different game, Chula, where tokens are made from are moved from shop to shop with increasing challenges. It quickly becomes apparent that the tokens are in actuality the four members of the first contact team, and Quark may be betting for their very lives. On the last step, the three remaining players are thrown to their death and return to the real world. They realize it was only a game, and the Wadi were trying to teach Quark a lesson about cheating. Ella Moraine! So what do you want to talk about first? Okay, well, if we're going to talk about this, we've got to talk about how um, this episode really did a good job of being a kind of a moral compass without being overly preachy, in my opinion. Um, It kind of has these moral themes throughout the game that they're playing, obviously the way that they're treating Quark. the game Chula specifically, um, I thought with the different levels of shaps, each shap represented a lesson. Um, and I thought that was something like, I like getting into those lessons. I thought they may have been executed poorly, but I think that also played into the effect of it not being so much of an after school special and more of a guide to morality. Okay. I'm, Maybe I'm going to push on this a little bit, and maybe maybe this just sailed right over my head because, I mean, I feel like I'm I'm pretty good when it comes to understanding literary <laughs> references, and I I did not catch the morality in this episode. I felt like this was maybe more of just like a throwaway mm-hmm. type, you know. And I hate saying that because I hate the idea of a throwaway episode. I hate the idea of an episode. So, okay, so... Uh, I agree. So, yeah, I mean, like, conceptually, it's just, like, how I, many hours we I know. I mean, because you, you think to yourself, you watch 23 to 26 episodes a season. Right. You'd hate for, like, so many of those to be kind of toss-aways just because, I mean, like, oh, we just need advertising for the week, you know? Or, I, or, I mean, it's just... And just consider the amount of effort that must have gone into exactly. this episode for it to be a, quote, throwaway episode. So, I don't know. I'm just... Con- well, I just find that frustrating. So... I guess my question is, and, and this is something that you'll have to walk me through, what would you say each level or shap um, was, <laughs> come on, really, no, um, was mm. intended to represent? Well, okay, so I think kind of starting off shap to kind of more straightforward, you had the crew encountering the little girl playing what looked like, looked like, looked like a lot, looked a lot like 
hopscotch and playing around to kind of move on to the next level. Um, and I felt I felt that that was kind of a, you know, a, the lesson of it's important to learn how to play. It's important to, you know, enjoy the time of being a kid before you progress on to your next stage of life, so to speak. Um, there was a follow the leader element to that too. Um, I mean, which I if I mean if we're if we're trying to yeah stretch this and suggest that there's some kind of morality there, I guess I could. I mean, following direction to the letter, maybe even. Well. Yes, yes, and no, really, because I mean, yeah, there is that whole follow it to the letter. You gotta sing the song. You gotta, you gotta jump and play along. And do the movements. And do the movements. Yeah, I mean that's great, but I think that the important part was like you have to do that to loosen yourself up because you had Bashir trying to just do the jump along, step on the right steps and get there, and he gets knocked on his keister. Uh, and then it wasn't. It was Jadzia who's really the most childlike of the entire crew, even though she's the oldest. Um, you know, chronologically speaking, um, she's the one that realized, oh, no, you need to play along. You need to sing the song. You need to do the do the moves, and that was part of the game. It's, you have to play the game to grow up, basically, which is I thought was a really interesting lesson of, of Shap 1. Um, or 2. Or Shap 2, sorry. Lesson 1, Shap on 2. <laughs> I know, right? Shap 1. Um, I thought Shap 3, or the second lesson was pretty straightforward it was kind of in your face in my opinion uh, you had these guys go walk into a room everybody's laughing and drinking and having a good time and the only people that don't laugh and drink and have a good time start choking to death basically and it's not until they start that you know have a drink they get that relief and you know so i thought obviously that lesson was you know drink and be merry you know to in order like that's a necessity of living okay i i can okay all right. Yeah. And I think kind of that's where the editing may have taken a editing of this episode may have taken a turn because once you get on to Shap 4 and then on to, you know, jump over to Shap 6, where is how they how they did in the episode, you kind of lose the lessons um because I mean, you get Bashir kind of taken for no reason. I guess that's kind of a lesson in and of itself, you know. I mean, people you lose people every day and you just kind of have to live with it. I mean, I guess that's one thing. Um, okay. Uh, and then, like, I guess, Shap 6, uh, you kind of had to, they kind of had to make the hard decision about one of, leaving one of them behind for, so the other two could live. That was kind of the, the, the lesson they were trying to get at. And obviously, the crew was like, nope, all three of us are going to go. And then they all three, you know, they failed. They yeah. all three failed. Yeah. But I thought, you know, I mean, there was an attempt at a lesson with each Shap. It may have gotten lost in translation when the episode was gone through, you know, post production or whatever. But, it seemed like they were tr- they were going for that at first. I guess I'm gonna have to disagree with you on this one. Um, I I see where you're coming from for sure because I definitely see a sort of attempt at some kind of lesson, but I also think that, that might just be the nature of gaming more generally. Yeah. Where there's always some kind of sort of underlying theme or story. I mean, that's good gaming, right? Is that there's a narrative. Um, Definitely. I suppose I suppose because it was so sort of wrapped up in these like very strange trappings mm-hmm. um, and there was this sort of subplot um, or maybe it, that was the main plot actually it's kind of hard to say really of Cork and his cheating ways um, it, it to me got totally lost and it felt like the Wadi were simply trying to teach Cork a lesson 
using these other people, you know, and that, that that it was anyway. So I mean, I guess I guess for me, there there wasn't really a point where I felt like they were trying to learn or teach some kind of valuable or interesting lesson. It it seemed to be very much about mm-hmm. um, just playing this game, uh, which may or may not have had a few lessons sort of contained therein. So. I, I agree with you that there may have they may have been there, but they were so poorly executed that I missed them entirely. I don't feel like I'm that I, stuff doesn't go over my head very often, and I did not get that at all. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you are you are a you do hold a master's degree in this stuff, so I mean, you are quite intelligent when it comes in to science it. fiction. I, <laughs> master's degree in science fiction. That's true. Science fiction. Well, you know, literature. Science well, right, fiction. Right, but I just so. like to say that it's in science fiction because then I feel like I can wear the badge uber nerd with pride. Fair enough. <sighs> Fair enough. I, 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 the thing about this particular episode with with regards to teaching those lessons, which I definitely agree with you, poorly executed all the way, but I felt the attempt was there, and I thought that I appreciated the attempt. Um, there was more of a, I think in post-production it did rely more heavily on teaching the, teaching Quark a lesson as opposed to the players of the game, you know, the, the pieces of the game, the lesson. However, I think that the lesson, you know, because you got the first two shaps teaching them, you know, go ahead and play, have fun, and the second one, be merry, you know, those two lessons I thought were key in specifically how they all responded to the Wadi's arrival, because when they were when the Wadi arrived, they were okay. so uptight. Like you said in your synopsis, the dress to the nines. Um, Bashir was freaking out over not having a dress uniform, mm. um, and then all the Wadi wanted to do was go and play a game. You know, and I thought that the that the attempt there was to get these people, especially Kira Nerys, who's like overreaction especially in the third chap uh, where she like throws food on the ground. I thought that was kind of like indicative of somebody who's like taking themselves way too seriously. Well, I, I took Kara Narice's Narice Kira, major Kira. Uh, yeah. We're going with the proper title here. Um, I took her response to the, to being kidnapped. Let's, let's say it. Yeah, no, know? they were kidnapped. Uh, by the Wadi as a, a sort of post-traumatic stress syndrome. Oh well, yeah, response. definitely. I mean, because she's the. I mean, she responds so violently and yeah. so. You, yeah. I mean, and and like understandably, I mean, I think if you woke up in a strange environment, you know, I mean, for for Bashir and uh, Cisco and Dax, our dog's name is Dax, so every time we say that, he gets like real excited. And yeah, it's mm-hmm. a he. I don't care. <laughs> so yeah. anyway. Uh, their Starfleet training kicks in. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that, obviously, Kira has training, but she also has this sort of really traumatic background, and so I think that that shows up in her response to being to being captured and put in this game. And I, I agree. And I, so I sort of took that as, like, less about teaching her, you know, how to let loose. And, yeah, it was less about teaching her how to let loose and more about... Well, I, I don't know what it was about, frankly. I, I, I mean, like that. I mean, maybe maybe that was a big problem well, I for think, me. I think the whole deal, like, because the whole game, the, the main theme is, in my opinion, of that game, and I thought it was a good theme, was that, you know, like I said already, it is about, you know, learning to play along and learning to be, learning to, in, to have that ch- 
childlike enjoyment because even at the end when things are so serious and they're all about to they think they're all about to die literally they just show back up they don't die they're they're it's all good and i think that's kind of the point that the wadi try to make because they the wadi is a race that is very concerned with or not very concerned with but you know their main priority it seemed was to just enjoy themselves mm-hmm. um so they're they're out there you know they're playing their game and i think that's what they're trying to spread here in this is that you know especially with quark because quark is more concerned with winning he's not really concerned with playing he's he's concerned about not losing his fortune and so they they pull out this game to teach him a lesson of there's more important things than just your acquisition of wealth you could really lose your friends in that in that acquisition of wealth like if if you're just wanting to gamble okay okay you you're gonna take risks and you're gonna lose people and i think you know putting these people who were super serious on their first contact inside the game was you know the lesson of hey guys you know while it's great being an adult you still need to let loose i mean we're here as first contact as a cultural exchange this is our culture we love to play how do you guys like to play well i i definitely get what you're saying there and actually i do i can kind of get on board with that my big problem is the way that the wadi respond to the i mean because it's not like they come in and they're like let's all have a good time it's gonna be great they -hmm. come in and they're like where's quirk you know i mean it's it's they're so lacking in any kind of which, you know, I mean, obviously part of it is supposed to, intended to show the sort of cultural differences and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, and this is how different cultures are, and they just say what they want, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, so, okay, that's that's fine. Um, except that, to me, the big problem seemed to be that the Wadi were so underdrawn that I didn't get a sense that they were interested in just cutting loose and having a good time and you know giving everybody else that that opportunity so for me that was the big frustration in the in in the episode and i will say though i think that of the characters that got an opportunity to learn a lesson quark would be the major character yeah he would definitely need the lesson most you know i guess but from from our perspective quark would be the one that needs the lesson most from the wadi's perspective who's a culture based on playing games, I would think that it would be the other four needed the lesson more. Because... Uh, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, they're the ones that are super, super serial, you know? Yeah, no, that's a valid point. I mean, yeah. obviously, except for Jadzia, but they, but they don't yeah. take the time to get to know Jadzia, so how exactly. would they know, you know? Exactly. I mean, and maybe that's my big problem, is that the Wadi are such a... I guess I guess this is one of those, those races, and this happens relatively frequently mm-hmm. in Star Trek, where... They're so, like, they're gimmicky, like, to a point yeah. of ridiculousness. And, like, the Wadi's gimmick is that they are a gaming race, yeah. a race of gamers, right? Exactly. Um, so, I guess, and I guess that was really frustrating for me, like, in terms of the way that we're supposed to interpret them or the way that we're supposed to think of them, the only thing that really stood out to me was that this mm-hmm. was a gimmick. I kept thinking... I kept wondering, I should say, like, are they attempting to, like, pay homage to their fans that are into, like, D&D and LARPing? Like, is that, is that the, is that, like, and I, it kept, it kept striking me, particularly with the main character, main Wadi, whose name I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I should have written it down. I think they mentioned it, like, a couple times, but I I don't, I don't recall his name. Um, 
so his for whatever reason it was like his physique and his hairstyle and his oh, yeah, mustache the yeah the mullet and the mustache and like the way that he was carrying himself or something I was just reminded like really really reminded of my friends who are LARPers um, oh yeah I know and that's not a dig at LARPing at, at all. I I, no, no, it's I just a, it's I just fun. I guess I just sort of I like I think that that was what was the character's name? Fallow. Fallow. Oh, that's weird. Isn't Fallow that has a name or like a meaning rather? I'm sure it does. I'm not, I didn't. I should have uh, probably done a little more research, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look that up. It's gonna bug me. I know, um, right? I'm 100% sure that means something. Um, but anyway, so. Yeah, so I, I guess his character to me, I just was sort of reminded of that that kind of person. And I thought that the intention was to play homage, or to rather to pay homage to people who are interested in LARPing and D&D. Mm-hmm. And it it didn't do a good job of that. Like, like it, you know, it, it, it wasn't... It was so poorly executed that yeah. instead they ended up making fun of them maybe i don't know if it was so much that they made fun of them but I, they definitely didn't do them justice you're supposed to be defending no i i am hey you're right when you're right you're right So the other big thing I really wanted to mention, um, which we've already sort of touched on, but I I felt like needed a little bit more attention, um, was the conscription of the players and the like the moral quandary I had with. I mean, everything is fine. The game is fine. Yeah, it it I I think it's not very entertaining and maybe like a little bit stupid. Um, But but. Morally and like ethically, I can get on board with it, right? Like it's just it's just a game. Yeah. Um, except that the four characters, the four you know main pieces on the board, are real people, and they are really kidnapped out of their beds. You're absolutely right, and that is going to be one that is difficult to defend. Um, I really would need a minute to to gather my thoughts on that because there there it is kind of indefensible to just conscript someone like that um into a into a game i mean even if it is just a game they don't know they they don't know your culture so you okay so let me let me throw you some points um that frustrated me specifically okay. about what they did and maybe you can attempt to defend them yeah um, let's, I don't, let's see uh, it's I, gonna be I tough don't, i don't envy you in that task because yeah, to me be that tough. was one of those moments that was just like totally indefensible but the way that the show defends it, and maybe this is what's so frustrating, because if this had been an episode where it's like, Odo's unraveling the mystery of where everybody is, you know, um, mm-hmm. then, and then they find out that it's the Wadi, and then the Wadi are all clapped in chains, and like, yeah. sent to the Deep Space Nine version of the brig, like, yeah, I probably could have, like, accepted that this was, you know, okay, this was just one of those weird episodes. Um, yeah. But, what the way that they deal with this is that Quark they blame it on Quark basically and like poor Quark like I I will grant you that he cheated and he Mm -hmm. shouldn't have cheated but the 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 response to cheating is not kidnapping your friends like you know if 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 you and I were playing 
rummy and i cheated at rummy you would not then kidnap our pets and like hold them for ransom <laughs> like that would be i don't know maybe i'm pretty competitive be, I know, I, <laughs> that would be abusive and terrible and like yeah. it would be worse if you were a stranger right it'd be worse if like i oh, yeah. met you yesterday and then you and i sat down to play a card game and i cheated at that card game and as a result you kidnapped you know my loved ones and like or like yeah. people i cared about and like you know so, so there's so there's okay so maybe okay all right i just thought of something okay there is a another universe parallel that has the same kind of problem for me where we just okay. sort of all write it off and like oh it's fine it's in the universe it's in harry potter and the goblet of fire okay when they are on the i think it's the second task and um oh you're talking about where the mermaids they kidnap Oh, no, they volunteered, remember? They, was, they revealed okay, see, that they okay. volunteered. Okay. So, I mean, there okay, really is... Okay, okay, So, there is not, there is not yeah. another universe, like, parallel to this, where we're just supposed to accept yeah. that Quark's punishment for this... Is to, yeah, is to psychologically torture people that are tangentially related to him. Right, not even his... Like, it's not Nog and um, his brother. Yeah. It's... I think that's kind of where this episode failed a bit was that it was trying to teach Quark a lesson by sh- by by putting his loved ones in danger um, or sh- making him think that his loved ones were endangered. But the problem is, is Quark doesn't have any loved ones, um, not even his own brother. Like, I mean, he likes his brother, but he treats him like garbage. Uh, he likes his nephew. Same story. Treats him like garbage. Um, yeah. I think that yeah, you. I definitely have to bow to you on this particular subject. Um, conscripting people to try to try to teach someone, teach him a lesson, uh, was was bad form, and I think that it really did do a disservice to this particular episode. However, though, in defense of the Wadi, I think what you could really say is that in their culture, this is seems like a game that they play a lot. Yeah, um, clearly. Everybody there knows. Everybody knows all about game. it. Everybody knows all the rules. And you, I mean, it's kind of a, one of those life lessons where you have to learn as you go mm-hmm. kind of games. They make that point. They, they make that point quite a bit. And the thing is, is maybe they thought in how they communicated the purpose of this game to Quark and to everyone around him that they knew that it was just a game and nobody was endangered. So maybe, I mean, while that doesn't necessarily... Okay. Well, that doesn't necessarily explain away or excuse them conscripting players um it maybe it's one of those things that they just thought oh you know this is this is how we play games maybe you play games similarly i see what you're saying because yeah i guess the wadi do kind of have this like weird way of expressing or communicating Mm -hmm. um particularly in the very beginning you get that scene where it's like hi welcome to deep space nine we're so happy to meet you blah 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 Mm -hmm. and then you know fallow um says uh where's quirks you know i mean it's it's a sort of direct indirect way of communication Mm -hmm. like he he doesn't say we're really excited to play your games he says where's quirks anticipating that ben sisko is going to know what he means and so maybe he had the same sort of anticipation i mean he does specify to quirk that it's only a game yeah you know i mean he doesn't say especially at the end there where it's like oh you know whenever he saw them having that stressful look on their face and that relief it's like guys it was only a game right right there is a kind of 
yeah, there is a kind of moment where everybody sort of steps outside and says, whoa, like, calm, calm down, you know? Yeah, exactly. well, well, I mean, he, you know, Quirk um, sort of figuratively upends the Monopoly board and mm-hmm. and everybody goes, whoa, dude, like, it's just a game. Yeah, exactly. He starts, like, begging and whining like a kid there towards the last chap. And yeah. It's like, I can't pick one of them to go. And the guy's like, fine, all right. We'll let the game decide. Which yeah. One, yeah. Know? Right. Right. So, yeah, no, it was kind of a, uh, yeah. I mean, on top of it, on top of that, I mean, you get this really interesting dynamic where uh, you got Quark who's begging for the lives of these people that he really hasn't shown much interest in other than Jadzia. So maybe that's what it is, because he doesn't know which character is which. Mm-hmm. So maybe he's really only interested in Jadzia at the, this point, and he just wants to make sure that she's not the one that's gotten hurt. And so he's like, please don't make me pick, and trying to hope to hope to spare her life. And however, you know, I don't know. I don't think that's really it. I think it's just Quark doesn't want to be on the hook for killing somebody. Well, okay, so do we want to move on and talk about Quark? Because I've got a few things I want I to say feel about like, Quark. Yeah, I feel like Quark okay. is a good Because, I mean, as far as trying to episode. defend that conscription goes, I think you've hit the only potential oh, yeah, no, defense of that, which is that they didn't know that they didn't know. Exactly. You know, the Wadi didn't know that the Deep Space Nine crew wasn't aware that it was a game. Right? Exactly, yeah. Um, other than that, it's like, uh, you just kidnapped them. Yeah. So, you know, bad. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, right. let's talk about Quirk. Okay, so let's talk about Quirk. Um, I, I have, well, I, first of all, I have to say Quirk is one of, probably one of my favorite characters. He is very in dynamic. Star Trek. Yeah. He, 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 to me, makes up for, and I'm supposed to be tearing this episode apart, I'll get there, um, he makes up for a lot of the early missteps that, that Star Trek made with the Ferengi. I agree. Um, he is funny and interesting, and like you said, dynamic. Um, you know, he's he's just well he's just a well drawn character. He's just a really well drawn, rich character, and his family is interesting. Um, you know, so obviously we're gonna have more than enough time to talk about Quark mm-hmm. and Quark's family. But yeah, I think there's gonna be a good some good conversations because there's a lot of that a lot of episodes with him that I, I want to talk about. So. Oh man, totally. And, and like cork centered episodes that I, oh, I yeah, want to no. talk about. Um, but, and I mean, I think we could maybe go, we could, we could go so far as to say that this is an, a cork light or rather let's say a cork, almost cork centered episode. It, it's very close. It's kind of half and half. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what I like about this episode with Quark is that you get this really great moment where Quark is, I would say, genuinely begging for the lives of all four of his, you know, friends, let's say, or let's, you know. Well, three at that point, but yeah. Yeah, but but he's, I mean, that was such, like, it, it was, it was interesting in that it followed Ferengi logic to me, mm-hmm. right? Like, there was something very Ferengi about the way that he was begging, but at the same time, it felt totally genuine. And and I and I actually do think that it was because he I saw him like the way that it's it's Armin Shimmerman, I think his name is yeah. actor. The way that he um sort of hesitates between each piece 
and you can see him sort of like the wheels turning and what i saw in that in that moment was him thinking about jake sisko you know if mm. i kill ben sisko i'm killing jake sisko's father i could you know nog's friend's father you know i could you know jadzia she's beautiful and i love her you know bashir has been a good friend and he spends a lot of money at the bar you know i mean um <laughs> uh, uh, kira you know was, uh, you know he and odo have developed a sort of weird friendship and he knows how much odo cares for kira and so there's this sort of like mm. moment of his wheels turning and i felt i found that that was very genuine and i i I really liked it um so then he goes through this you know begging moment and it's powerful and it's sad and i mean i you know it's almost i mean i think they played it for laughs which is the same problem we had in naked now where you know here's this moment where things could be serious or could be really great but instead we're all supposed to laugh and then at the end they undo the whole thing by oh just kidding it was just a game yeah so that was really frustrating for me as it relates to cork yeah no i see that's where i got to disagree with you on that and in terms of the begging to me it was more of the laugh line like i thought that that was kind of a like oh hey here's this cocky ferengi who's always you know, who's always trying to make a profit somewhere and let's go ahead and see, and he's always cheating people. Let's go ahead and make him beg right quick. That's how I read it. And I thought that it was, it was very disingenuous because you even get to the point where he's hiding his face to like maybe even hide the fact that he's, you know, not actually feeling anything. You're supposed to be defending this. No, and I do. And I am, but you know, in terms of Quark, he, it's, for this particular one, and I think the episode kind of ends without Cork learning a lesson, and Cork is that forever every man who doesn't learn a lesson. He's that he's the guy that shows how everyone else around them grows, but he himself doesn't grow. And they don't really in the first season specifically, they don't really show Cork with a lot of growth. Like in later seasons, oh man, like season three, oh he is like by that point he is really like expanding who he is but in this early episode i think that all it all he is and all the writers really want him to be to the audience is just a gambler because there's that one line where he's like where it kind of dawns on odo that the pieces are the people and odo is like no don't don't take the quick path take the safe path and cork's like no 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 trust me i can do this trust a gambler and it's like what kind of line is that? Like, I think that's the point, and I think that's what Cork really brings to these earlier episodes of Deep Space Nine, is that it's, it's, there has to be somebody who is the foil to growth, and Cork is that foil in this. Uh, yeah, that, that's, a, I think, a pretty re- reasonable explanation for the way that they end up treating him, because, mm-hmm. because otherwise, it's such a mistreatment of this mm-hmm. character and he he does seem genuine to me but you're right in that he's he is genuine Mm -hmm. but he's genuine in the fact that he doesn't grow or learn any lessons at all you know i mean and so i i can buy that i can definitely buy Mm -hmm. that quark just doesn't have at this point the depth of character the depth of emotion to Mm -hmm. genuinely change and it might be that he's not thinking of other people in those moments he's thinking of what happens if I lose and go to jail? Exactly. You know, and I think that's really what he's thinking of there is like, if I like, here's Odo, the chief of security here. If I kill any of these four people, I'm on the hook for it. 
and I lose my business. Uh, I mean, the worst that's going to happen to Cork is he's going to get extradited to the Ferengi homeworld, but he's going to go back there with not a cent to his name, and that is way worse than anything that Odo could do to him. Uh, one of the other things that I kind of wanted to talk about since how we're on the topic of Quark and maybe even the Ferengi in general is kind of the treatment of the Ferengi in this ep- in in not just this episode but throughout Deep Space Nine um, we kind of get this first look with Deep Space Nine into what a non-episodic version of Star Trek can be whereas it's not like each episode is individual and neatly wrapped up and doesn't pertain to anything else this series specifically really does a nice job of tying episodes together one by one now of course there are some standalones that really the only thing that's tying it together are the people but you know in general there's a there's something a theme or something tying each episode together in this one it is how not just how uh odo and the wadi treat quark as a ferengi but also how cisco treats the ferengi as well um what I'm talking about specifically is there's this first scene which was really it, it was very reminiscent of something out of like mm, 1960s television where um, Jake Cisco was wanting to go play with uh, play with Nog do something with Nog and Cisco's like oh you're gonna go play with that Ferengi boy and it had he, he kind of said it with a little bit of stank on it you know like like, oh, that Ferengi boy is up to no good, you know? And it was like, of all the all the indicators that you could use to describe Nog, why is it his race is something that you need to need to bring up there? Um, and then you see how Odo treats, treats Quark and treats Quark kind of like this no good, up to no good guy just because he's Quark. Now, of course, they have a history together, but... There's something else. There's like another underlying thing to that as well. Oh, I, I have to agree with you. Um, I know I'm supposed to be tearing this episode apart, but and there's plenty to talk about as far as that goes. But um, the treatment of the Ferengi in Deep Space Nine, I think, is one of the better treatments of any race mm-hmm. in Star Trek. And it's because they start off from this sort of position of like, nobody likes them and they're you know i mean mm-hmm. nobody trusts them you know i mean it's funny because particularly with the way they treat quark um in quark's bar it's like you know nobody likes quark or they all act as though they don't like quark with the exception of dax yeah um but <laughs> they all visit quarks that's yeah. where they go you know to unwind after work they yeah. all go to the same place and it's you know everybody goes to quarks um so I think, you know, it, I think it's very telling of the Federation and I think mm-hmm. it's very telling of um, Deep Space Nine uh, in that we have this sort of, let's say, double standard or maybe like hypocrisy mm-hmm. as it relates to the Ferengi in that um, they... Well, they're supposed to. We're, we're supposed to hate them, but mm-hmm. we're all piggybacking off of their, you know, let's say capitalistic ways. Oh, exactly. More frustratingly, too, or let's. I, well, here's what I'll say: 
it's not frustrating. It's actually, I think, really telling. The Ferengi act as a foil for the Federation more generally in that we're supposed to see the Federation as this like bastion of virtue and greatness. But in order to be that, you have to be willing to sacrifice your entire culture. If the Ferengi want to join the Federation, they have to be willing to sacrifice their entire culture. Good, bad, or indifferent. And I mean, Mm -hmm. you could make arguments against the Ferengi culture all day long, but it's still a matter of this like sort of weird colonization and this weird sort of like idea that like you want to be one of us you have to be like us um Mm -hmm. maybe not physically and we've moved away from like physical indicators of Mm -hmm. of um power um but we definitely still have a sense that one group is better than the other group and as much as the federation tries to be non-judgmental the way that Ben Sisko talks about Nog, his son's best friend, oh, is yeah. horrifying. And, you know, but, and weirdly, and maybe this is why I think they do such a good job with it on Deep Space Nine, it's not black and white here. It's mm-hmm. Nog's understanding of how to treat women is terrible. He's yeah. a Ferengi. The way they treat women is terrible. They treat them as property. That's exactly. terrible. And he doesn't want his son thinking in those terms. So who's right here? Is it is it is it wrong for Ben Sisko to want his son to adhere to for Federation cultural norms as it relates to women, or is it wrong for him to be so judgmental of a culture that treats women terribly? And it's a question that I think, as lovers of Star Trek, but maybe even more as persons in a society, we have to continue to ask ourselves. And oh, I yeah. think that I think that Deep Space Nine and maybe even this episode specifically do a really good job of addressing. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with you on that. Um, there was this really, it's its kind of an obscure thing. It was never written down, but uh, apparently Roddenberry had this rule um, w- leading into every series that he ever wrote, that, especially pertaining to Star Trek, that characters on the ship could not be in direct conflict with another main character on the ship, which which is where you get this, um, it, was, it was meant to be kind of a, a way to show that as a society, we have moved past personal conflict with each other and we're able to solve our problems and move forward. Um, I think in this series, though, they really kind of flirted with that rule a lot and kind of bent that rule quite a bit in how the characters treated uh, treated Quark and it, to some extent even treated each other because there was always a good co- co- conflict going on between Kieran Reese and and Cisco from one position or another. Um, there was always a good conflict going on between Odo and just pretty much anybody. <laughs> um, and so I thought that was really I thought that was really interesting um, to kind of like you know tie that into the nice little bow of what you were talking about there. I think it I think kind of playing with that rule or, or bending that rule a bit on this series really shows the dynamic that uh shows shows the flaw in in starfleet in that they are not as evolved as they think they are and i thought that was really really good to see Uh, so I wanted to talk um, a little bit about uh, sets oh, and man. costumes. Um, I guess specifically of the Wadi, although I guess we can stretch into looking at some of the costumes and yeah, no, stuff I'd I'd love to talk about Space the Wadi's costumes specifically, their costume and makeup. I thought it really fit 
with the type of people they were supposed to be, these gamers with these crazy tattoos and mullets, you know? <laughs> and I loved how, like, it, it, it just goes to remind you what time period Deep Space Nine came out in. It was kind of on the tag end of the 80s, right there in the early 90s, whenever they were all business in the front, party in the back. <laughs> it just... I, I really thought that costumers did a great job with these with this race of people. Um, I guess maybe, well, I'll disagree with you. Um, and the reason I'll disagree with you on the costumes anyway, uh, although not the sets, I thought the I thought the game board was Oh, that was that was awesome. Well, okay, so I'll disagree with you on the costumes and then I'll disagree with you on the game board and I'll okay. tell you why. Um, the costumes I feel like were I, my problem with them was that I didn't get it. Like, I couldn't quite pin down. Other than, like, they're, like, a bad replica of a sort of Buck Rogers type <laughs> costume. Like, that's, I guess, like, was maybe what they were going for. Fair I enough. didn't understand the head tattoos at all. Um, I think that was, like, supposed to be... That was kind of in that era of the forehead of the week kind of deal that Star Trek got it, got into the... the um, rhythm of doing and that was supposed to be i think like an alien like they they were born with these weird foreheads yeah i didn't get that i what <laughs> I get, like they sort of vaguely look like game or like puzzle pieces so i thought that they were supposed to be like tattoos maybe and then i i don't then the little girl had one so i wasn't really sure um the set bothered me okay the set First of all, I think we should at some point talk about the fact that we're on Deep Space Nine and not mm-hmm. on a starship. Um, yeah, we can talk about that now if you want. Yeah, no, let's go ahead and talk about it. It, it, it is a spaceship. It is a space station. Um, I love. Are, are we talking about Quark's sets, like the set of Quark? And no, like I just the station. The, the station in generally, general? yeah. Like, I want to know okay. how do you feel about it not being. A starship. How do you feel about it being a space station? I like it being a space station, and I like the fact that they set us inside of a Cardassian space station as well. Um, the fact that it doesn't look familiar to us, that it does look alien, I think is really interesting, and it does help to tell the story of the Bajorans and how they are coming into their own now after the Cardassian occupation. I agree with you. Um Actually, my, it's funny, my first encounter with Deep Space Nine uh, was not by watching it, but by talking about it with uh, an old uh, boss of mine who was a huge trick nerd also. Um, And the way that the conversation went was I had watched um, TOS, I had watched TNG, I think at that point I maybe watched Voyager, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. But I had yet to watch Deep Space Nine, and my reasoning was that everybody had said that Deep Space Nine was not very good. And the reason it wasn't very good was because it was on a space station and not on a starship. Yeah. And so instead of encountering things, they're sort of s- literally stationary, right? Well, yeah. Um, and things sort of come to them, which is sort of how mm-hmm. this felt, right? I mean, this episode specifically, it's like they're not going out exploring. They are boarded by this mm-hmm. group of people who happen to be this race that is interested in gaming. Yeah. And, and I anyway. think that was a really good plot development whenever setting up this whole show was sticking them right there in front of a wormhole so that way they would have a constant new influx of races coming in to say hi every other week. Yeah, I agree. Um, we obviously get the influx of races from the Gamma mm-hmm. Quadrant, so it's a little bit of a shake-up from the you yeah. know, next-gen TOS-type situation. I mean, it's 
same sort of story in Voyager, although for very different mm-hmm. reasons. But just getting like a different quadrant sort of understanding that there are all these races that we haven't encountered exactly. yet. Um, and there is this sort of like a signifier of exploration. Um, mm-hmm. I was, when I finally sat down to watch DS9, mm-hmm. I was not initially a fan. And then I became a fan, um, which is funny because that's true of a lot of Star Trek things for me. But um, Deep Space Nine for me was a problem for the reason that it didn't fulfill the exploration side of my Star Trek fandom. Yeah, no, I, I get where you're going with that. And I definitely agree. It does have a bit of a, a it does lose a little bit there in terms of getting to see these new interesting sets on the planets every other week. Um, But you do get to see, like, I think it does rely more on the costumers. It it does put the the onus on the costumers and the makeup artists and the writers as opposed to, you know, letting it all rest on the shoulders of the set crew, you know. You 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 get to explore via being explored almost like people being interested in coming through this wormhole and visiting a whole other side of the galaxy that they've never got to visit before and so you get to see all these new interesting people um that's what i really enjoyed about it i have to say too that i found it really fascinating that the set that they chose to make um was so dingy and so run down and like that was I thought a bold choice, but a good one, and mm-hmm. it made sense I mean, in the universe. Yeah, what it really does, though, is it, it, it allows you to be introduced not only to the characters and how they perceive uh, the Cardassians, but it lets you get to know the Cardassians as a race. Like, mm-hmm. they are utilitarian. They don't care about things like, you know, bright, happy colors. They're more interested in function, and that's exactly what uh, the space station is. There's something very Klingon about Cardassians. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that that was a really good move. Um, I mean, in the first several episodes of Deep Space Nine, you get the rundown falling apart space station. And mm-hmm. I was really taken aback by that. I mean, as a part of the reason I love Star Trek, and we've had this conversation probably a million times, mm-hmm. is that I always feel like I want to be there. I want to go to, you know... <laughs> Yeah, I want um, to be on that spaceship. I want spaceship, to be yeah. on that spaceship. Um, this did not make me feel that way. I did not want to be there. But the longer they were there and, and the sort of more I got acquainted with the Bajorians mm-hmm. and the Cardassians and, you know, all these sorts of races and all the Gamma Quadrant races, what I realized was that what the strength of, of Deep Space Nine uh, is twofold. First, it's that we are fortunate enough to be in this position where we are like a gateway or deep space nine is a gateway um and so as a mm-hmm. result of this we get to interact with all these different races and then the second reason that deep space nine was such a gift is that it, it doesn't rely on tropes to get the crew members in and out of trouble oh i know star trek is is replete with these tropes where mm-hmm. you know i mean i say this all the time about janeway it's that oh, i think we can take a couple weeks and go look at that blah 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 and then what ends up happening but everybody almost dies you know and you think yeah. why the hell did you go so deep space nine 
they can focus more heavily on the political aspect um, and the plot line and character development. And I think that for that reason, Deep Space Nine very quickly became one of my favorite iterations. Yeah, I think once I finally got past the bad acting of... Uh, of Avery Brooks, I, I think oh, I actually I know enjoyed, poor Avery Brooks. I think I actually enjoyed it. There, there was, <laughs> it was actually a, one of the first thing, first scenes of this particular episode. I was sitting there and I wrote down the note. Uh, let me read it. Isn't it funny how Jake Cisco is a better actor than Benjamin Cisco? I actually think of uh, Ben Cisco and and um, or Avery Brooks and William Shatner as being like the same caliber of actor. You know, and they have the same sort of like breathy. There, there was a there, there. The, the thing that got me past that was there was a se- an episode in probably like season two, where Avery Brooks gets really, really like over dramatic, and it was like, a, oh, that's a scene that Chat would be proud of. Yeah, no, that's I honestly I feel like he's he's part of a like long tradition of like overacting Star Trek, oh, yeah. and I I kind of appreciate. It took me a exactly. minute, but I sort of appreciate it. No, I agree. Um, uh, so I wanted to get back to the Wadi set really quickly. Oh um, yeah. I, which I know we got way off topic there, but totally, I felt like totally. it was it Sorry, was appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> we were pulling one of those Janeway maneuvers where we just like we'll just go Let's look over here for two weeks. For um, so um, anyway, uh, the Wadi set. Uh, what I liked about it was that it looked like a game board, which oh, yeah. I thought was really cool. I mean, I, it was like oh, yeah. almost instantly like, oh, they're on a game board. I get it. Um, but then. And I still am not quite sure why they like go from, you know, um, settlers of Catan to Jumanji. And oh. I don't mean Jumanji like the cool 90s board game. No, I mean I Jumanji like the actual game yeah, um, like or the actual the film. Rock formations <laughs> yeah. I get what you're saying. And it, to me, what it looked like, um, I don't know if you've seen these, but they have these build your own D&D world boards you can get where... Uh, you start off with just kind of like a plain gridded mat and then you can put little like figurines and formations on there to kind of build the world uh, of where you're where you're going to be telling your story and that's kind of what it reminded me of and i thought that that kind of see it didn't bother me because it kind of played into that whole these are gamers these are D&D guys wanting to play a game with the folks at ds9 i guess i get you i still thought it was like a weird sort of like Oh, we're like on a board game, and then oh my god, what the? F- <laughs> or sorry, <laughs> what the bleep? Yeah. Oops. Now it's time for some truck news. <laughs> was that necessary? That sounds way cooler in my head than it did out loud. It was. It's all right. Yeah, I know. Um, well, I didn't really come across anything new or exciting this week. Um, I think you and I came across the exact same story. So I'm, I'm going to bow to you on this if you want to want to tell our listeners about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess we don't have anything super exciting in the Trek world other than Discovery to look forward to. And so mm-hmm. basically a lot of the Trek news that's been coming out recently has been Discovery oriented. Yeah. Um, and I am excited, uh, but this latest piece of information is giving me, let's say, pause about how interested I am in it. So I'll, I'll go ahead and give you the rundown. Um, earlier, we were talking about Roddenberry and his mm-hmm. sort of idea of the future and what would happen if we 
you know, we're able to become a spacefaring people and what would need to happen in order for that to be the case. And his his thesis, essentially, was that we would have to ha- be at a point in our existence where we could resolve conflict without resorting to violence, right? And so mm-hmm. conflict on the, on the bridge was sort of limited to, or conflict on the ship, rather, was sort of limited to, you know, minor skirmishes and words... Um, yeah. And less about, you know, who's sleeping with whom or less about, you know, there, there wasn't this sort of traditional um, office drama, as it were. Yeah. Um, well, Star Trek Discovery is going to, let's say, I, I'm going to go with my understanding is that they're going to break the rule, break the Roddenberry mm-hmm. golden rule. And I have to say that I am very disheartened by this. You know... It doesn't bother me that much, um, and it actually is something I, that I kind of look forward to seeing because you got to think this show is set in the timeline that is right before where Roddenberry started telling his story. So m- it does play that maybe they haven't developed that uh, humans haven't developed to a point where we can leave that sort of you know side conflict that say like you and i would have or like me and joe blow on the bridge would have with one another mm-hmm. maybe they haven't de- haven't evolved past that yet so that's one thing that i'm kind of looking forward to seeing is how we get to that point maybe that's maybe that's something they're going to show us the other thing that i'm also really excited about with this is it's going to make for way more interesting television oh i have to disagree i'm sorry i just i think that i think that the restriction of the Roddenberry rule um, is what made the original series, it made TNG, it made any of these series really interesting because the writers had to think outside the box. They had to think outside mm-hmm. the sort of traditional, you know, um, romantic subplot that, you yeah. know, so they were able, and they and they did so, and they did so so beautifully that I, I, I think that Star Trek is kind of defined by this idea of, you know, no internal conflict. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I see your point. I see that there's a potential here for more interesting plot line, mm-hmm. but I also see the potential here for writers to rely on tired tropes. I, my understanding is that writers were really frustrated by Roddenberry's edict, and mm-hmm. I certainly understand that, um, but I also feel like part of the reason Roddenberry did that was he forced the writers to think of things that they may not have otherwise considered. And, and, and yeah. So anyway, that's I, that is a, that is a good point. Um, there was something that did just come across the wire in terms of Trek news that I saw. Um, kind of, I get the Google alerts on my phone for Star Trek because <laughs> I'm that kind of a nerd. Don't we all? Though? Uh, yeah. Well, seriously, um, it's actually Jonathan Frakes has been signed to direct an episode of Discovery. Yeah. Okay. So I did hear about this. Go that's ahead. going to be exciting for me. They, there's not really a lot of information out as to like what he's going to be directing. What? Um, so there's not a lot of information on what the subject matter of his episode is going to be, but it's. I'm excited because I always thought that the Frakes episodes and even the Frakes movies that he directed were some of my favorites. Um, totally agree. Yeah, I, I know. Totally I mean, agree. There's, I can't remember the name of it, but I know he directed. It was one of the first episodes he got to direct, but it was where uh, they had like three different. Uh, uh, one of the first episodes that he got to direct that I really enjoyed was the episode where they were kind of stuck in that time loop 
where uh, the Enterprise uh, kept going back in time and, and replaying the same events over and over again. And and each time there were like these minor directorial differences that he made. I really enjoyed that episode. It was one of my favorites of all time. But uh, I'm excited to see how he how he. Did Frank how, not direct Measure of a Man? Is that not one of his episodes? I don't believe so. Oh, really? I, maybe. I was pretty I, sure it was him, but maybe I'm wrong. We can always look it up. Yeah. I'm Somebody yeah. will somebody will scream at us. But yeah, no, anyway, his his episode, his directing skills, I think, are great. I, I, I enjoy yeah, his stuff. I, I totally agree with you. I think Jonathan Frakes. That, that, that actually maybe maybe Marie, or at least alleviates some of my some of my doubts about this. I am I am doubtful at this point, frankly. <laughs> um, the casting choices have been really good. Um, yeah. But the Klingon thing, and now this whole, well, we're going to move away from Roddenberry. It's like, Mm -hmm. do you not understand that Roddenberry is what made Star Trek so successful and following his formula and following his advice is what made... Anyway, I'm I'm interested to see how producers are going to and how directors are going to handle some of this. I I just, I want to see an episode in this this new um, iteration of Star Trek that, you know, feels like the old. It feels like we're able to maybe like relax a little and enjoy I think that that time in television is over unfortunately I don't think that we're I think we're in a I think we're in a hyper dramatized uh, dramatized uh, era of television which I mean because you got to think of like the shows that are popular like Game of Thrones House of Cards uh, Walking Dead like the ones that are like super like that are like extremely popular have to do with a lot of interpersonal drama agreed and i i actually i have a i have a i'm fine with it frankly when it comes to when it comes to some of these other dramas but one of the things that makes star trek so good is the absence of that sort of trivial interpersonal drama you know understandable i mean it's it's kind of it's almost hard to believe you know taking the walking dead for example that there's going to be a love triangle that everybody's upset about in the middle of Oh, a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> like, who is focusing on this? Are we not focusing on the yeah. fact that this person is trying to eat your face? Okay. Yeah, no. Not. I, so, I, <laughs> so part of the thing about Star Trek that I really appreciated was this ability to rise above their circumstances and sort of rise above yeah. the muck in the, in the well, mess. Well, I, I hope that... I, I agree with you on that. I, ho- I I don't want it to devolve into, you know, oh, instant so-and-so is having an affair with the captain. No, I don't want to see that. That's right. not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is... You know, it would be interesting to see how people interact with other races, you know, because you got a little glimpse of that with like in, in TOS when people would like, you know, bash on Spock for being a Vulcan. But, you know, I would like to see something like that here, but like play it real. You know, don't play it as a character. Like, we're, we're grown up enough now where we can look at, you know, prejudice in races and prejudice. And, and, and there's other topics that you could that you could go with. Not just, not just you know, a prejudice, but like, okay, so-and-so got got the command over you or something like that. You know, and you're, you, you, like, an officer resents another officer for some sort of accommodation they got. Like, that kind of thing could play interesting to me. I see what you're saying, but I also see that it, I mean, it seems to me like there's only one resolution to those types of problems, and I think that, like, you know, the sort of traditional resolution is to get into some kind of fight or some kind of argument, and I just, I think that there's something nice about Star Trek where they're not, 
you know, where the arguments are always centered around the best mm-hmm. possible solution, not the outcome. And yeah. I think I think we as a society more generally, and I hate to dive into this, but have gotten away from the idea that um, that we need to focus on outcomes. And we're, we're so mired in minutia that it becomes impossible to think about bigger picture things. And I think that the future that Roddenberry imagined was a future of bigger picture. Yeah. And the idea that we're gonna go back now and say, well, we're not really that focused on the bigger picture, we're focused on this or that. I mean, I'm sitting here in judgment of, of this show, we haven't even seen it yet. So maybe it's yeah. unfair of me entirely, but I was very, very disheartened to hear that they're that they're moving away from the Roddenberry Yeah, rule. and I can see that. Personally, I, I look forward to seeing their interpretation with this with this in play because I do feel like it does hamstring a lot because I think a lot of stuff that that people enjoy watching in today's livelihood in today's you know entertainment is how people interact with one another and if everybody's happy with one another and there's no not even a minor conflict between two characters then you know we might see it might get boring. Um, I, I disagree. I, I, I think we have. Yeah. I think we have forty years of yeah, <laughs> you know, fifty years of television that proves otherwise. So I mean, yeah. we'll just have to see. Well, maybe we'll, we'll agree. We'll, we'll see. We'll see yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely wait and yeah. see. So uh, I guess we're gonna do technology. Technology. So what I, do you got for technology? I've got nothing. Do you got anything? <sighs> I mean, nothing super new or exciting. Um, I did see a um, uh, combat Bluetooth. Uh, uh, piece. You mean the one that I kept showing you around <laughs> in and around my birthday? Yeah, no, that that one. I think I missed that hint. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> also, it was like 180 bucks. No, it's only it's only it's only 80 dollars. Trust me, I have this memorized on thinkgeek.com. Oh, okay, okay. 79.99 plus shipping and handling and tax. So uh, okay, okay. Maybe. People get out there. It's it's it is pretty baller though. Maybe for Christmas or anniversary present, something, or something like that. Yeah. Like no, but seriously, if they also have the Bluetooth communicator from like old school Star Trek. That uh-huh. was like ninety bucks. Yeah. They've got they've gone through and made like a bunch of cool replicas. Like you you bought me that uh, remote. That's the old uh, the old uh, type phaser. two phaser. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, it's the same company that makes all those. They're really cool. And, yeah. No, I um, I, yeah. I I um I do like those. <laughs> I think they're fun toys. Um, I I don't necessarily categorize that as like the technology and that it's not new technology it's kind of yeah been around for a while, I mean, we've but, had, cool. we, but no you got to think about it though for that bluetooth communicator though because it's it is loud enough from from the videos i watched because of course whenever i want something so bad i watch youtube videos on it um <laughs> who doesn't really this the uh speakerphone on it was pretty loud people were using it to play music through things like that it's pretty cool. It also has a cool chirp sound, like the TNG Next Gen chirp. Okay, so I was going to ask, do you tap it to yeah, you respond? Tap it. Okay, so you like tap if, it. I, if I hit my chest and then it blue, blue, blue. Well, if you're getting a phone call, you hit the you hit the thing and it answers. No way, really? Yeah, really. Also, cool. like it also interacts with your uh, Google Now or your Siri if you have it. So if you want to make a phone call, you tap it and say, okay, Google, call my wife, and it'll go ahead and call her. Can I have Major Barrett's voice? No, unfortunately not. <sighs> then I'm out. I gotta have Major ah. Barrett's voice. <laughs> Major, Major Barrett's voice never went through the communicator unless she was talking. That's true. As Loxana. Loxana, yeah. So. Okay, all right, so let's move on to uh, recommendations. Awesome. I um, have one this week that uh, it's probably a couple weeks old by this point. Yeah, um, yeah. 
but almost a month almost a month god it's uh, this is what happens when your parents you don't get to go see movies when they come out anymore because anybody that you'd want to be your babysitter is going to see the movie <laughs> so it's very difficult um but no we, we just went and saw wonder woman for mm-hmm. uh for the first time um it was amazing i've got to say i cannot say that enough and i'm not just saying that because you know oh finally a superhero movie movie about a woman that doesn't suck but it was really awesome. Like, it was a genuinely good superhero movie. The other thing that I really enjoyed about it was the fact that it was a good World War One movie. Oh, yeah, totally. And, and you never Hardly see ever. good World yeah. War One movies. Like, we, we're, we're really that. all about World War Two in American mm-hmm. society. But but a World War One movie, that was, like, something else. And I really enjoyed watching that aspect of it. Um, also, like... All of the different actors and actresses that popped up in that. Um, I mean, you had the guy who played Lupin from Harry Potter. Um, you had what was it? Uh, Robin Wright. Oh yeah, that's she right. was. Uh, she was a bamf in that movie. Agreed. Yeah, it was just great. What was your take on it? Um, I have to say, I really enjoyed it. And this is, I am not a superhero movie fan. I do not like the Avengers or Marvel. And I know, I know, blah blah blah, nerd, blah blah blah. But one of the things that frustrates me about them is that a lot of them rely so heavily on really tired tropes. And I think that there was something refreshing about seeing a woman. Um, I I was moved by this film. Um, mm-hmm. Gal Gadot was phenomenal as Diana. Oh man, she was just off the chain. As like Diana. yeah, and I, so, the thing that I loved about it too with her. Um, sorry to interrupt, but they there's this tendency whenever you get these superheroes, these superhero women, that they kind of buff them up to make them look a little bit more masculine almost. Mm-hmm. Gal Gadot looked feminine but also a badass mm. pardon my french um she she just looked so bamf in that but also at the same time she wasn't like like she didn't look roided out mm-hmm. there was a really fun sort of the way that they played with the like fish out of water story oh yeah for diana was part of the fun of the film um i thought that my my favorite parts in the film actually had to do with the way that they treated war and wartime mm-hmm. um there there's a sort of narrative of diana discovering that she hates war right i mean obviously one should and she certainly professes her hatred of war but she's also sort of hungry for battle in the beginning mm-hmm. of the film and then the more she sees of it and the more she recognizes the horror the more she's you know disturbed and incensed that that people are fighting and there's this really great question that she poses and it's nice because it's coming from an outsider of you know why are you killing one another why are you killing one another you know and i think that that was maybe the thing that really got me about the film was most of the time we don't question the violence we don't question Mm -hmm. whether or not people should fight or what we should you know what we should do as fighters or what's righteous as fighters gal gadot or rather diana as portrayed by Gal Gadot, did a phenomenal job of registering how terrible it was to actually be involved in war. And that this is not fun, that this is not something people want to do. You know, so I think that that was the real strength of the film. And it was a strength that I don't think is reflected typically in in superhero films. Um, Superhero films really sort of glorify violence and this was mm-hmm. something that did not glorify it. it it absolutely showed it for the realistic horror that it was and i think part of that had to do with the fact that they said it in world war one so yeah it was great it was it was a fantastic fantastic film um so i have a recommendation for you um 
March Recommendation is actually a podcast, and it's a podcast that I have listened to a lot. I mostly listen to it on my way to work, but I listen to it really anywhere I go. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's a podcast called Blurry Photos um, with David Flora and David Stecco. Um, I absolutely love this podcast. I think it's funny. I think it's entertaining. I think it's interesting. Um, The premise of it is that they take subjects like, um, you know, ghosts and aliens and time slips and the Mandela effect. Pretty much anything that is... uh kind of uh in the cryptid universe yeah you know? yeah so crypto yeah tech, like kind of cryptozoology but kind of anything that could potentially fall in that category yeah and they dissect it and they look you know look into um you know stories surrounding it but also like they sort of debunk it or maybe come up with some theories as to what they think it is mm-hmm. um they do so with a lot of tact which is kind of impressive, um, and I I really really appreciate the chemistry between Dave and David, um, oh, yeah. or Dave and David, or David and Dave, or however they prefer. Um, so yeah. I uh, am highly recommending uh, that you listen to Blurry Photos. Uh, step outside the Trek universe for a couple minutes and enjoy um, some stuff on cryptozoology. Yeah, I'd um, really I'd really suggest uh, the one I just listened to. Um, was the one on the Mandela effect, oh, and yeah, totally. I loved that, that one. That was awesome. That was an amazing uh, podcast. Yeah, they 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 just do a lot of really great work, and I think that there's a, it's fun to listen to them because yeah. you can tell how close they are as like friends. So yeah, I know it's it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. All right. Well, I you want to uh, announce our final uh, our next episode? Well, um, I think I announced it last week, so I'm gonna let you do it this time around. All right. So next week we're gonna be looking at. Um, an episode of Voyager, so we're trekking along down to uh, uh, from Deep Space Nine to Voyager. Um, mm-hmm. We'll get to talk about a lot of different things, um, but the name of the episode is Time and Again, and it's episode four of season one. Uh, so we'll get an opportunity here to examine time travel episodes, which... Uh, there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. Especially in Voyager. Yeah. Oh, God. Voyager does have just like a horrible amount of... Yeah, and I, th- I mean, and that's something that we'll definitely talk about next week is the reason why, but mm-hmm. I, they kind of paint themselves into a corner by putting a lone Federation ship out into Right, so if they water, ever want to so. interact with any Federation races, they have to sort of like... Either time travel yeah. or something, well, wormhole or something, yeah. I wonder if we're going to get um, Janeway's... Um, well, I guess we could check it out just for a couple of, you know. Oh, I know, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll hear it. At least, if not, we'll we'll definitely make fun of it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Um, okay, so mm-hmm. uh, other than that, I just want to remind you guys that we do have a Facebook. Uh, it's uh, trekkingawesome.facebook.com. Uh, we mm-hmm. also have a Twitter account where we tweet at things. And we are um, at trekkingawesome. Yeah, so that's no T-R- G. Yeah, that's T-R- <laughs> E-K-K-I-N. Awesome. Um, And for your friends who do not have iTunes or uh, Google Play, we are now up and live on Stitcher. Woo, Stitcher, whatever that is. That's Uh, another podcast thing. Podcast thing. Uh, Okay, cool. So uh, we'll see you guys uh, here in a couple weeks. Trek and A. Exactly. Trek and A. (laughs) Trek and A.